last week we talked about something that I think is really significant. We talked about the fact that we are a family, right? And that we've got to be family first. God is a family man. And what I had this thought was, I said, you know what? Let me share this next week instead of last week. Not two messages, but just a thought. And that is this. When we lose the passion that we should for evangelism, like if that heart is not our heart to speak the truth and the hope of the world to others, chances are we've lost sight of the fact that we are supposed to be a family that's growing that's growing. There's scripture throughout the word that tells us that we should be, and Jesus says to his disciples, that they should be sharing the gospel till the whole world hears. And it's so easy for us to put $20 in the missions offering so that the whole world hears, but then maybe not have the conversation with our coworker about them needing the same hope we have. And we can't just pay the bill or foot the bill somewhere else. We've actually got an action to take. And so I think about Jesus's conversation with his buddy, Nick, okay? His name is Nicodemus. But in John chapter three, where we get those famous verses that we share about God's soul of the world that he gave his only begotten son, that none should perish. That means even my enemies, even those who uh, treat me wrong, even those who don't believe like I believe, I should be sharing my hope with them. So we talk about depending on him. <clears throat> we talk about depending on God for everything we need. We say, we need you, God, in our finances. God, I need you in my marriage. God, I need you in this place. I'm depending on you. And here's something you may not have thought of. This is an area where he depends on you. He depends on us. He tasked his 12 ragtag crew of guys to go and spread this gospel into the world. And now millions have heard since that moment, but we still have a job to do. So when it comes to how to church, don't forget that that's part of your job in how we church is inviting people and sharing with them the message of the truth. God has put it into our hands. So I've given today's message a, um, an, an awesome title. And I have some music to go along with it. This is how we do Alright, that's enough of that. <clears throat> you may remember this song. Um, I don't speak for the validity of the lyrics of the rest of the song, but we played a clean intro, okay? Please don't replay the rest of the song in your head. But I, I thought to myself, you know what? Um, there's a bunch of different titles that we could use, but today I'm talking about something that kind of can be a little bit dry or maybe a little bit boring. So I thought let's spice it up with something like this, okay? Because this is how we do church. Today, what I want to share with you, the message that I have, is how we actually do church as it pertains to the organization of the church and how the leadership of our church is organized. You may think, okay, this is dry. I'm just checking out, waiting for lunch or whatever. But I want you to listen closely to this message today because as we talk about the leadership qualities that are requirements for people who serve in the church, it's an important thing because you need to fit those requirements if you're going to lead. You also need to prayerfully encourage those who are leading in the church. And so I want to um, have us think about these things today. The truth is I've visited I've been a member of, and I have been in leadership in churches that have had healthy organization. 
And I've also been in churches, you may have too, that didn't have a healthy um, approach to leadership and how it's supposed to look according to the Bible. So today, as we talk about this, our goal at Celebrate Church is to be healthy in every way. In every single aspect of what we do, we, we put checks and balances. We ask tough questions. We don't get up here and say, we want you to be changed and challenged We are doing that ourselves as well. And we need supportive leadership in the church uh, that can help accomplish that. Over the last couple years, we've achieved a measure of health in our church through something called church supervision, okay? In that, if you can imagine like a babysitter staying with the, the kids until they get a certain age, what's the age that you were left home alone by yourself on purpose by your parents? (laughs) 12, 13, something like that. You can, you can microwave your own hot pocket. You can do your own thing. Okay. They trust that you're not going to burn down the house or stick a finger in a socket. You got rid of your babysitter and now you're kind of on your own. Well, then the maturity process goes even further than that because at some point we lose even that and we go off to college and we do our own things and we're responsible for our own bills. And then we get a family and we do all of that stuff too. It's part of the maturity process. So as a church, though, we have something that we've, I could call it church babysitting that has been happening over these last few years and that we're coming out of. We're finally old enough and grown enough to be on our own. Okay, It's scary because we don't know where you all come from and what your mindset is about the church and about how it's supposed to be led. And you might have been in an unhealthy church before. We want to make this one healthy, which means really not to check your brain at the door, but to check your baggage at the door. So leaders outside of the church have been helping to lead our church and lead me uh, to a place of health. And today, as we start talking about this is how we do it, I want to give you a snapshot, just um, a sneak peek into what our church is going to be looking like so that you can prepare yourself and think through what it looks like to be, to have healthy leadership structure in the church so that we can mature and move forward. So this message is meant for a couple different people in the room. It's meant for people who are members already of our church so that you can brush up on your knowledge. Um, it's, it's meant for those who are interested in becoming members. And if you want to know how to do that, Meg, would you wave? Meg has all the information, but we have a class called Starting Point, And we're doing the next one in April, April 15th. And when we do that, basically we talk about what the church believes and we talk about what it is, what it looks like for you to be a member in the church. And so it's, you don't... Let me say this, you don't have to sign up to become a member just because you go to the class, but it's a prerequisite. We want you to know the family that you're joining. Doesn't that sound good? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, the first time I met Amy's family terrified me. Um, sometimes there can be lots of nerves though, right? And the first time I'm sure she was terrified the first time she met my side of the family. So when we talk about this, it's hard to differentiate between something like a marriage relationship because membership really has that sort of take to it, that we are joining into the body of Christ. So it's for a member or those who might be interested to be part of membership. It's for those who are who, who have potential for leadership. And it's even for you if you don't call Celebrate Church your home yet. 
If you're from another church or from another place, this message is going to give you some tips of what it should look like, and then you can look at what you're experiencing, and then you can see where you might be the change that you're hoping for. Amen? So the first thing that I wanted to tell you this morning, Matthew chapter 28, I'm going to read a portion of scripture, but I want to say this, that healthy churches are guided by the Great Commission. They're guided by the Great Commission, which happens in Matthew chapter 28, and it's Jesus' words, his final parting words that he tells his disciples before he leaves. He says this in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20. Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus gives this commission to his disciples in those moments and says, I'm about to be gone. I'm going to leave. I'm leaving you in charge. And this is your task. This is what you've got to do. Make disciples, baptize them, teach them, and help them to obey everything that I've commanded you. This is really important because a healthy church, if they lose sight of this, we will become impotent. We will lose our impact in our world. And that's not the church as the building. That's you as the individual. If we lose the idea of what God has commissioned us to do, then we will be in trouble and facing a place of being stagnant and not growing, not maturing. Have you ever been upset or disappointed in someone who didn't follow your instructions? Don't nudge your spouse, okay? Don't nudge your kid. But I know I have. I give specific instructions, and then if they don't get followed through, I'm like, but I said, do it just like this for this reason. And you think to yourself, yeah, you need to follow that direction, okay? So I think to myself, though, about our obedience in the idea of what his healthy, what his great commission is in order for us to be healthy. And when we talk about that, something that we would love to be able to tell our kids and those around us is if you delay your obedience, you are disobedient. Take out the trash. All right, I'll do it after I play this game of Fortnite. Um, all right, uh, take out the, do this, go there. Honey, will you please stop and di- whatever it is, when you do that sort of thing, if you delay your obedience, you're disobedient. So don't delay your obedience to Jesus in his great commission. Each one of us should evaluate our current level of obedience to the great commission. And can I be really honest with you and transparent? I don't, I don't, I can't say I have a perfect score of a hundred percent. Your pastor is acknowledging that I am not a hundred percent in this area. So if you're less than a hundred percent, you belong here. (laughs) Okay. We belong together, but here's the deal. We do not use that as a cop out to not 
do anything or to, to rest and to sit on our laurels and just, like I said, pay missionaries to do stuff elsewhere. We have got to actually take it upon ourselves. So we don't want to lose our way and become impotent. Um, if we do, we will have no impact in our city. God always works through authority. It's pretty interesting. You can find this in the Bible and he always works through leadership. It's one of the timeless principles of his kingdom. Today, what I want to do is I want to show you a couple leadership uh, pieces in the puzzle that make up the total leadership of the church. And the first one that we'll talk about today is pastors. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 14, I want to read this portion of scripture with you. It says, and he gave, this is Paul the apostle writing to the church at Ephesus, talking about Jesus. And he says, and he gave, Jesus, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. This is what we would call the fivefold ministry. Apostles who start churches, we could call them, maybe in modern day, we would use the term um, church planter, uh, somebody like that. Or we could even look at a higher structure of leadership, someone who is over a group of churches. The next would be a prophet. They were in the Bible and they are still here today. No one calls me prophet because I'm not a prophet. I'm a pastor. But a prophet would be someone who hears from God and speaks that message to others in important moments. We see that all throughout scripture. Evangelists. Now, here's the thing where we check out sometimes. We think that it's somebody else's job to share the gospel. It is each one of our job to share the gospel. Even if you're an introvert, yes. Even if you don't really like people, <laughs> yes. Even if, fill in the blank, whatever it is, we are called to be evangelists. But there is a category of people who go and preach. In fact, you just heard recently, we had the death of one of our greatest uh, heroes of the faith in modern times. Billy Graham, in his passing, he was an evangelist. Millions, if not billions of people have been impacted by his ministry and what God chose to do through him. He would be considered an evangelist. Then we have this word shepherd, and shepherd really is pastor. It's the role that I have. I have two roles. I am a sheep. Jesus is my shepherd. I am a sheep. But in the role of leading the charge in the church, I'm considered a shepherd. A shepherd has tools that he uses to be able to help the sheep, to let them grow, to mature. Even in my wording earlier about you checking the calibration of how much you are following the Great Commission, in doing so, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to help you reproduce. I'm trying to help you as a sheep to be able to know it's time for us to reproduce. And then we've got this other category, which is teachers. Teachers who are in the Bible, who are in the, the doctrine of the word of God and can share that with the church. It's a huge blessing when all five of these things are active. So it says here in the next verse, in verse 12, it says this is why they were given. It says to equip the saints for the work of ministry and for the building up of the body of Christ. Verse 13 says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God to mature, we could say adulthood, okay, it says manhood here, to adult, to maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves 
and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So there's some leadership giftings that have been given to the church through God's directive. In the pastoral role, we have to understand it's a calling. It's not simply a vote of whether or not to get a pastor. It's that that pastor has got to have a calling from God that he knows God has called him to lead the church. Now, I have one of those. I can tell you my my experience as a kid. I knew when I was a kid that as the Lord was going to allow me and give me the grace to do it, I was going to lead a church, if not churches, in the future. I believe with all of my heart that God has tasked me and gifted me. I'm not perfect, but I'm working on it. Amen? You're not perfect, but you're working on it, or you should be, amen? So here's here's my job, though. My job, according to this verse of Scripture, all these guys that are listed as apostles, prophets, all that stuff, their job is to equip you to do the ministry. So if you could think about it like this, my ministry is to make sure that you are in ministry and make sure you're doing a good job. Not based on human standards of whether or not you, you know, cross all your T's and dot all your I's and all that stuff, but in the, in the line of making sure that you are an active part in the body of Christ, not just a spectator sitting on the sidelines cheering everybody else on, but you are actually getting in the game and being part of the team that's serving. That's what my job is. My ministry is to help you mature. Now, if you remember your teenage years, there are challenges to maturity (laughs) that we faced. We still may face those as adults, right? There are challenges in our life when we don't want to mature. I don't want to grow up. A Toys R Us kid, okay? We want to stay playing with our toys and not having the bills and not doing that kind of thing. But somebody who loves us has got to help us mature and say, you know what? Sorry you broke it, but now you got to pay for it. Sorry you did this. I'm, I'm really sorry, but this is the way that it works. We believe in consequences. You don't love your kids if you don't give them consequences. Ooh, it got so quiet in here. I have kids. I know this from experience. They need consequences because it helps them mature most of the time. (laughs) So here's the idea, though, behind the pastoral role and those who serve in the roles of apostle and all those other things. It's their job to help equip you, give you the tools that you need to be able to do ministry, but also to mature. It's clear in that verse. It says, to mature adulthood, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So if you can imagine a bucket being halfway full of the fullness of Christ, it's my job to help you see that you're lacking that and that you need to raise the bar and raise the level. I can't do it for you. You can do it yourself, though. And that's what a pastor's role and a job should be. The last part that's mentioned there in that section of scripture is that my ministry is to help you grow up and be firmly anchored in the truth. You ever met somebody who's wacky? Not me. Come on. Everybody, like, you you met somebody who's wacky, right? I've met some wacky Christians as well, okay? 
We have to have something that anchors us, and it's got to be the Word of God. We've got to clearly see it in the Word of God. So my ministry is to help you grow up in your faith. And we put in places like The Journey and other leadership in the church to be able to help you facilitate that growth. So that when the winds come and when the coolest new thing comes, when the book gets written and somebody says, I'm going to make a million dollars talking about a this and a that, whatever, we don't just get swayed by every wind of doctrine. We are firmly anchored in the truth. So if you've ever been in a church where you didn't feel like you were receiving that sort of stability and structure, then we know that we've got some issues. We're always going to have issues until we're finally at the place of being in the fullness of what God has called us to. Here are some of my responsibilities as a, as a lead pastor for you. According to our constitution and bylaws and according to God's word, it's to help facilitate and give vision and direction to the church. That's what a pastor should be doing is helping the church to lively move in the right direction, vision and direction. The next is to define and communicate the church's purpose to oversee the day-to-day ministry of the church and the administration of the church, to discover, to define, to direct, to empower, and to develop all the leaders and their teams. I am a shepherd of sheep. This is true. But I'm also a shepherd of the leaders that I have in different places. In fact, you could speak to any leader in this church. I would put some money on that, even though I'm not a betting man. We'll talk about that later. But I'd put a wager. I'd be willing to wager that any, any ministry leader, any team leader of a ministry here in our church would be able to say, I am, I am, I've been empowered. There have been moments where I've been corrected. There have been moments where I've been led. There have been moments where I've been helped to define and direct and develop my team as a result of leadership here in the church. We want to stay connected. We want to be able to communicate about those things. So I want you to know this is, this is really what I'm trying to communicate, that we're trying to be healthy. And we need more healthy people to keep us healthy. And we need no sickness, infirmity, disease, because that will distract from that. So we're, we're headed down this, this path of trying to be as healthy as possible. Another thing, there are a couple things there for the pastor, uh, that there, there's the opportunity for him to appoint a board of overseers. We're going to talk about them in a minute and to select trustees who oversee the business of the church, um, and to staff the church as he deems necessary. There are, um, I guess I could say it like this. Pastor Cameron and Miss Becca are a gift of God to our church. They, you might not realize this or understand this, but they got called here by God's own directive and his own will from a church of hundreds of people so that they could come and they could serve here. It's been a little bit of a transition for them, wouldn't you say? To come from a very large place to come into a place like this. But they have brightened up this place. They have really done a work. They've done a work in our college life, in the young adults. They've done a work in all of the children and in building a team. Pastor Cameron, he knows what he's doing when it comes to this stuff. And so my, my thought was, we have a couple families in the church. Let's get a kid's pastor. And I had people look at me like I was weird. They still look at me like I'm weird. You may not realize this, but we're the smallest church in our fellowship in this state to have a kid's pastor. 
And God, by his grace, has allowed us to be able to do that. Not just a volunteer that helps every once in a while. He puts in hours of work in an office. He develops curriculum. He does all that stuff. So he's a pastor as well, and he's trying to lead our kids. While we're in here being led, he's leading our kids and the team that leads our kids. So I'm really thankful that the opportunity is there for the pastor to staff the church as he deems necessary. The next one that we'll talk about today, and this will probably just be the second one that we handle. I'll probably scrap the rest of it and use it next week. Um, we're going to talk about overseers. Overseers um, that are in the church, they are supposed to support the life of the church and the pastor. And I want to explain some things uh, like their opportunity for what they do and how they serve. They are to protect the church through counsel and through prayer. And if ever required, the discipline of the lead pastor. How many of you ever got a spanking in your life? Raise your hand, proud. It changed you and made you a better person, all right? Whatever they say in the news, don't listen to it, all right? So every once in a while, things need to be corrected, and sometimes a spanking needs to happen, and when that happens, it comes through the overseers into the life of the lead pastor as a result of discipline. So overseers fit this qualification, and I hope that you're taking some notes. They are to be pastors or leaders of other churches or in our denomination. We also understand that they are supposed to give wisdom and they are supposed to be those who know Celebrate Church and love Celebrate Church and know your lead pastor and support him but is willing to correct him. I have overseers right now who I talk with frequently, who I tell my problems to, who I ask wisdom from, who I want to solicit some good feedback from, and I'm willing to ask the hard questions of myself, and they ask them as well because they are overseeing the body of Christ. It's kind of like the security guard at the gate of the sheepfold that's helping look over the pastor, the shepherd, and all the sheep. He's there to support and to encourage. And so I want us to look at 1 Timothy chapter chapter 3, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, talks about an overseer. It says this, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, this is a long list, okay? Verse 2 says, an overseer must be above reproach. That means have nothing weird and bad in his, in his background. He's got to be above board in everything that he does. He should be the husband of one wife. You cannot be an overseer for our church if you are a polygamist. Okay? I mean, it's just... Uh, Paul was setting some standards to say, hey, listen, we've never done this before. We're going to build a church. And this is how you're supposed to staff it and get the right people in the right place. Okay? So only one wife. Okay? You got to be sober-minded. The thought in the Greek is to be clear-headed, not to be muddied in your mind, but to be clear-headed. The next is to be self-controlled. Self-control is a missing ingredient in all of our lives. I don't even want to confess how many little chest, chest squares I ate last night. I did not have any self-control. We need people who are overseeing the body of Christ who are self-controlled, who are respectable, who are hospitable. You can't be an angry sort of stick to yourself, stay in your own lane sort of person. You've got to be hospitable. You've got to be able to teach 
Verse three says this, can't be a drunkard. Can't be violent. You gotta be gentle. You can't be argumentative, okay? That word quarrelsome is, is different than what we normally use in our day to day. But somebody who's spoiling for a fight, oh yeah, you think that? Well, this way is my way and this is the better way and whatever. You can't be quarrelsome if you're going to be someone who is overseeing the church. And you can't be a lover of money. I pause here for a second to tell you, money is not the root of all evil. Somebody say amen. The actual Bible, what we should live by, says the love of money. It's, it's that greed that gets into our heart that causes us to go off kilter. So if you want to be an overseer, you can't be a lover of money. Why is that? Because you've got to, verse 4, you've got to be able to manage things. In fact, number 4 says, verse 4, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. This is a challenge. If, if you, yeah, it's a parenting challenge, okay? It's hard enough to parent or to adult, but here's the deal. If he is going to help manage the lead people in the church, he has got to be able to lead his own family well. They've got to have the ability to have dignity. It says, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Now, I got a couple ideas on how you can keep a kid submissive. <clears throat> That's not for this message. But right now, it's this thought is here. He's got to be able to manage the small thing God gave him before being in charge of the bigger thing. Amen? So it says, to manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Verse five gives us the reason. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Right? If he can't keep his kids in line, if he can't give vision and passion and direction to his family, if he can't lead in that small area. Verse six says this, he must also not be a recent convert. Is, we're not hating against those who are converting to Christianity. We love them. We want more of them. That's why I just told you, use the Great Commission. Go and share the hope of the world. You're the only one who's got it. Think about that. Think about it in that pressure, in that sort of sense of pressure for yourself. You might be the only person who interacts with others that has the hope of the world. But if you are a recent convert, you're not mature enough to be able to help in the overseeing of the church. It says, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. It's, it goes further to say in verse seven, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. He's got to have a good reputation that's on the outside looking in. Everybody who knows him has got to be able to speak well of him because he's in charge of God's house. He's in charge of God's family. He's in charge of God's kingdom in that way. So an overseer would be someone, according to our standard, would be somebody who helps me and helps support the church by asking those tough questions, by communicating often, by being available for their wisdom to be shared with others. In fact, we've had someone a couple months back, his name was Pastor Ron Delgado, he came and he shared in this church. He has been in that role of an overseer for me. He loves my wife and I, but he's willing to ask tough questions. He's not just a cheerleader. He is a coach. Yeah. That's what the difference is. Right. 
And I think we try to find as many cheerleaders as we can, but we really need some coaches. And so I, I'm thankful for him. I'm thankful for others that have served in that role. The, the point of what I want to communicate in this of how we do it, how we do church, is that God has implemented, he has instituted something incredible, and that's a leadership that's available to help with the needs of the church. Not so that they can change the light bulbs, not so that they can do fill in the blank, whatever else you could give a whole list, but to be able to empower and help other people to minister in that way. So yes, we have some physical stuff that's needed around here in our facilities, but more than that, we have spiritual needs in our community that we want to meet, and God has given us a structure of leadership to be able to help do that. So having this thought in, in mind that God has asked us to have leadership in the church, I was reminded this week um, about somebody who spoke a word of what you could say is a prophecy to me many years ago. Someone spoke to me, and this was before I went into youth ministry, before I transitioned into full-time ministry at all, and someone who didn't know me, had no idea who I was really, came to me in a moment of prayer at a church service, and they shared something that was really significant to me, and I, I want to share it with you today. This is not something to puff me up. It's something to help you understand what God has given to the church in the role of pastor and overseer. And when we talk about elders next week and, and those who help as a trustee in the corporation and all of the nitty gritty of how a church is organized, it's to help you get an idea of what that is. So this woman came up to me in prayer and she said to me, I, I have this image in my mind of your shoulders and your shoulders are being broadened. They're being stretched out and they're growing. There's muscle growing and they're getting wider and broader. She said, someday God is going to task you with something that you won't think you can handle, but he's got this. And I thought to myself, what an empowering thought, because those are the days that I didn't have to do anything. I wasn't in charge of anything. I was still being babysat, you could say. I wasn't left alone. And then the Lord brought it back to my remembrance as I was studying for my message this week to share with you that the Lord wants that support to be there, just like your shoulders work to be able to help you lift and carry things and pull stuff. If you didn't have shoulders, you'd be in bad shape. Okay, just think about that. Next time you reach for the can in the pantry or whatever, it would be horrible to not have those things. And so I begin to think about how God has really put muscle and a frame to his body, the body of Christ, and how he's challenged us to support that, to help, to help, um, grow that, to help infuse it with life and vitality. It's meant for us so that we know God has called us to be a healthy and a vibrant church. I read a story this week, um, a really sad story, and I'll close with this as the worship team comes. I read a sad story about a, a woman in Chicago. She was frail and in her late, uh, I want to say it's 70s, um, she went up into her attic to go and get something out. She lived by herself and she went up into her attic to go get something. She didn't have any family around to check on her and that kind of thing. And as she went into the attic, apparently as the story unfolds, apparently she fell through a plank that was in the floor, uh, the floor of the attic up top. She fell through and she actually got lodged in between a wall 
and nobody found her. She passed away and they found her later and they talked about the frailty of her body. They talked about her age and how she hadn't done anything really to help herself and how she didn't have the muscle to be able to pull herself up out of that hole. And I thought, you know, that's a strange story to share in church, but I don't want our church to be a frail thing that falls through a crack that then can't recover. I want us to be like God has challenged us and commissioned us to be. I want us to be healthy. I want the church that you call home to be healthy, wherever that is, whatever church that is. If it's our church, I want that for us and I have a personal stake in that. I want us to be healthy and I think God does too. Would you stand with me today? The challenge as we've talked about the the pastors and the overseers in the church is it's very possible that the Holy Spirit could move on the heart of a teenager, a college student, or anybody of any age in this room and speak to them even today and call them into ministry. That's a real possibility. The other thing is, is overseers, none of us really in this room qualify because we need those overseers who are established pastors of other churches and that kind of thing. But my real challenge to you, my real thought to you is that you would commit to pray for our church. Prayer does so much more than we realize. It it sets our heart in the right place, in the right frequency, but it, it does so much to the livelihood of the church if we would pray. And here's what I'm gonna say, not about our church, but about other places that you might've been. When people take the opportunity to complain rather than pray or to be the change, bad stuff always happens. Nothing good ever happens in that place because all they're doing is yeah, 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 yeah. Thankfully, we don't have that problem right now. I'm not on a soapbox yelling at somebody in the audience. I'm proud of what God has done through you in this church and what he wants to keep doing. So pray, the Bible says in Paul's writing, he gives this encouragement to the churches. He says, pray that they wouldn't fall prey to the enemy. Pray that pray for their leaders. Pray for me. I need it on the daily, on the minutely, okay? I need it all the time, on the regular. You need it too, and I'm praying for you. I pray for you by name throughout the week. I trust that the Lord does what he's going to do in your life because I'm lifting you up before the Lord. I did that this week for each one that I know in this room, and here's what I wanna do. I want to ask you today to, if you say, Pastor, I'll commit to pray for our church, I just want you to slip up your hand. Slip it up, high and proud. We don't have to close our eyes for this. This isn't anything crazy. I just want us to commit today to pray. You can put your hands down and here's my challenge. Would you pray this week every day? You don't have to spend 30 minutes praying for me and for every leader in the church and every person and child and all that stuff, but just commit to whisper a prayer to God every day. Lord, help me to be a a better member in Celebrate Church. Help me to be a better leader. Help my pastor. Help those who are leading the youth ministry that's growing and thriving. Help those who are helping the kids. Whatever it is, just a brief moment of prayer to whisper to the Lord to say, God, would you help our church be the church you've always dreamed it to be? That's what my prayer is. Would you close your eyes? As we go into this last song, we call it the encore. It's just a moment for us to connect with the Lord. I don't know what needs you have in your own home or in your own life. And today, while we've talked about the role of a pastor and leadership in the church, you might say, pastor, that sounds good, but I got an issue in my health 
or my, my workplace or my marriage, if that's you, we want you to step out right now to come to one of these prayer centers on either side of the room and you can receive prayer. Miss Dana is going to meet you on that side and I'll meet you over here. If you want prayer for any reason while they play this song and sing, just step out and we'll pray with you. We'd love to just encourage and help pray you through whatever it is that you're facing. Father, I pray that you would draw everyone who needs to respond today. In your precious name, I pray.